Work Human is the pioneer of employee recognition and their podcast, How We Work, highlights everything that shapes the employee experience and what leaders can do right now to change it for the better. If you are leading meaningful work experiences for others, this show is a must. Subscribe to How We Work anywhere you listen to podcasts. And after you listen in, I want to know your takeaways. Think about how being anti-fragile is like strapping on your shin pads to go play soccer with people after work or your helmet on the motorcycle or whatever that is in a fun, lighter way to then pay forward to other people so that we can get into the ring, right? And have some fun and change things for the better. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn Gregory, and you're on Gut Plus Science, a mentoring platform for people-first leaders of all levels. Here, we talk to exceptional leaders who prioritize culture, get fired up about employee engagement, and are excited to share ideas and tools for bettering employee experience to help others. Thank you for joining us to invest in being a better leader. Now, let's get to it. Today, I am joined by my friend, author, coach, and Forbes writer, Nell Derek Debevoice, here to challenge us. That's one of her favorite things to do. She has a deep conviction to help people experience work in a healthy and fair way, working and living in their purpose zone and challenging us to live this out. So longtime friend, so excited to be here today. And our conversation is around human fragility. So Nell, why are you prioritizing this message? We cannot be so fragile. And welcome to the show. Thanks, Nikki. So, so glad to be here. Well, I'll answer in three dimensions, which is how I do most stuff. So me and we and world. I am prioritizing this message of we cannot be so fragile for me, because as you said, my work is about challenging and inspiring people to grow. And if we are fragile, we break when we're challenged. So I can't do my work of challenging and inspiring people if we're fragile. In the we dimension, things are not okay. Companies are flailing and struggling. Communities are struggling and flailing within each other and among each other. People are having a hard time. And again, when we're fragile, we break easily. And so in this difficult world, I think it's really important to get beyond fragility. And finally, for the world, we're at a place of transition and shift which is why the me part is so important to me of challenging and inspiring people to grow and change because we need to existentially if we are going to have a planet for our grandchildren that is livable and not deathly hot or whatever else is going on if we're going to have companies that are not damaging to the world and the people who work for them we need to change and again fragility is a real barrier to change Fragility is definitely something that affects us as a whole person, but I know that we both share in our passion to impact the workplace, and that's a lot of where this show lives. And so let's talk about the result of fragility in the workplace. To define the word, first of all, it's always a good place to start. It's about being easily broken or destroyed, right? It's kind of a basic definition of fragility. The second in, you know, the Oxford English Dictionary is lacking physical and emotional strength. A synonym that came out that I like is brittle. It's just such a visceral, you can picture a stick that just cracks, right? And when we say at work, like, it just broke me. If you're brittle, you break easily and it's loud and hard. And so fragility at work results in the status quo 
results in stagnation, results in misunderstandings, which lead to resentment, which leads to disengagement, which leads to people quitting. So it's not a good thing in this aforementioned context, which requires change and innovation and growth. Because if we are easily broken, we can't have the conversation about the fact that, I don't know, our budget just got slashed by 20% or our lead came to us and said, we need to do a reduction in force and lay off some people in our region or office. Or something as simple as we're not getting people back just because the CEO said we need to be in the office more. What does that mean and look like? If we're easily broken, there's nowhere to go with that other than either a strict one-way mandate or looking the other way, Pollyanna, burying our heads in the sand. Because the engagement that's required to deal with these sticky, important issues of change, if people are brittle and you wrestle, they break. So we need people to be strong and grounded in themselves, in their self-worth, in their identities, in their value adds in order to have these conversations. Absolutely. And I really like how you kicked this off with, you know, one of the reasons why I chose the topic is because it applies to me in my life. And so if we were able to illustrate what this looks like, maybe the catalyst that made you think, hey, I need to be working on this in my own life. Also, maybe in a workplace that you saw this experience where due to the fragility, that's really where the problem was, like the core of the problem. So let's share some examples. Yeah. I mean, one example that comes up over and over with clients that I think is relevant to share because I think it's a pretty relatable experience for a lot of us, no matter what side we're on of it. And this is around feedback. I had a client for coaching who came to me and said, you know, I was so excited because I had this person coming over to my team who I knew to be really high potential, pretty young, but high potential. She got passed over on her former team for a promotion and so switched laterally to work for me and my team. I'm really proud to consider myself an empowering leader mentor to other women in the firm, which is still pretty male dominated, especially at the top. And so I was excited to have this young woman under me to really be able to get her to that next level that she had wanted, but was passed over for. So did all my work, talked to that manager. Why didn't the promotion happen? Colleague starts. We have an onboarding conversation. She says, look, I want to learn. I'm ambitious. I'm bummed about not getting that promotion. Please give me feedback. Please help me grow. My coaching client is like, yeah, great. I want to give you that feedback. Let's do it. And they dive in woman's doing great. The new hire, the younger woman, great. You know, she's telling her that was awesome. That was great. I loved how you did this. And then something happens that she doesn't do well, right? It didn't go well. It was a client meeting and it doesn't matter the specific dynamic, but my client knew that that needed to be better for her up level. And so she brought her in and sat her down and was like, look, we're in that client meeting yesterday. This happened and you did this and I need you to do this whatever that is, right? And we can all apply that to our work. And I've heard the story a million different times in different contexts. And the young woman bursts into tears. And now look, I'm a crier. So I have a lot of empathy for her. I know some days it's just too much or you're stressing yourself out so much with this aspiration and you thought you did it perfectly and you didn't or you knew you did it badly and now you're hearing the confirmation. Whatever, I get that tears can be there. And it didn't end in a sniffle. It became a sob. And I don't know, in my client's experience anyway, it just froze the whole conversation and effectively shut her down from giving this young woman the feedback she had said she wanted that they all knew she needed to get to the next level. And so I'm not blaming the crier because there's a lot of things that we need in our system to rebuild this fragility. We can't do it alone. We need a supportive system around us. And that starts from parents and school. You know, it's a long journey that we can't just fix as a manager and the staff of a finger. But we as individuals need to do 
our work on it too, right? And recognize some of these things. And even in the days that followed, my client was really disappointed that the young woman hadn't come back to her and just said, look, I know I kind of broke down the other day. It's not my norm. It wasn't your fault. Something was going on in the background, or I just hold such high expectations of myself. I apologize to have brought that into the room. I'm going to do better. I really do want the feedback. Can we try that again? But she never came back and addressed it. Emotions happen at work. And I think we're getting to a place where at least a lot of managers can be okay with it. But we also need to own our stuff and recognize that a big sobbing fit in the feedback that you asked for after a lot of positive feedback, like this manager was doing a lot right, just needs to be addressed or else you're setting yourself up for failure to get the feedback and grow. Yes. Oh, thank you for sharing that story. And as you were sharing that, I'm thinking about just the state of the world right now, the topics that we talk about on the show, which is many times around how do we lead through the fear that our people are having around, let's say, AI taking over the world and potentially their jobs or the government things that are happening that all of us get a little sick to our stomach about or whatever. So there's a lot of change, a lot of shakeup in the world. I can see where you're like, this topic more than ever is needed for all of us. I don't think there's anyone that doesn't have opportunity to grow here and to sharpen. Opportunity and obligation, frankly. It's not just that there's an opportunity and upside to grow. There is, in my view, a responsibility to do so because what we're doing is not working. The progress for women at work is slower than ever and going in the wrong direction. The wealth gap in between racial groups in the U.S. is monstrous and is broadening, not getting better. The extreme weather, like more heat-related deaths this summer than ever before. We are not okay. And so it's not like, come on, aspire to be better and grow and be ambitious. It's like, do your part and evolve. Yes. Told you she was going to challenge us. Told you. So let's talk about the opposite of fragility. And I'm going to assume now every listener is with us working toward this. So let's work towards a path of like, what is all of our responsibility to own this alternative path? So there was literally a book called Anti-Fragility by the brilliant Nassim Tlaib written in 2012. Interestingly, as always, he tends to be like decades ahead of some of our thinking and action, but such a brilliant guy. And so I'm going to actually share his specific definition. I think it's pretty captivating. I have some other inputs that I'll share as well, but the book was called Anti-Fragile things that gain from disorder. How prescient, right, in 2012 to be looking like, if the last few years haven't been disorder, I don't know what is. And how compelling, so again, now that I've challenged you all into this, how compelling to be able to gain from this disorder. I can tell you it's going to be a differentiator in the market because a lot of people are not up to this. So the summary of it is, he said, some things benefit from shocks. They thrive and grow when exposed to volatility, randomness, disorder, and stressors, and love, adventure, risk, and uncertainty. So there's a whole book there. His writing, I think, is beautiful. It's not the quickest beach read, but really worthwhile. And so that's one input that I think is helpful to look at and a motivating one, right, to get there. The other opposite that I use is robust which comes from a mentor of mine, Kelly Wendorf, who does this beautiful work with natural and indigenous wisdom in high-performing leadership. Specifically, she and I now as well work with horses and their wisdom. And there's this notion of robustness in their conversation. It's really embodied for those of you who are watching and not just listening. There's a real like 
fullness of presence and everyone's physical presence looks and feels different, but it's when you or someone you're with is really in their body and grounded, you can feel that. Maybe hopefully you can hear that as I speak, even just with the audio versus when someone's in your office getting feedback and, you know, maybe they're asking you questions or sharing some information like this. And maybe I was wondering if you had anything to observe about that, like, whoa, right? Just feel that form of communication. How much more are you learning? How much more do you care about what I have to say? How much more do you love me when I do the former and not the latter, which just immediately drives me nuts or triggers me or raises my blood pressure or wants me to kick you out of the room because you're stressing me out and bringing my vibe down. So this grounded, robust communication is, I'm good, you're good, it's going to be okay, and there might be a hiccup or a tsunami or a terrifying monster that we don't even know what it looks like in the way, and I'm good and you're good. And so that orientation to communication and engagement and interaction with someone is robust because we're not going to break easily, right? Most of us aren't brain surgeons and orthos. If you are, you might break things. So please be really careful. But for the rest of us, if it's about an extra 1% of shelf share in our customers' stores or KPIs getting up to a higher level engagement thanks to our leadership training or the right new color of our shoes or dishware or paint. We don't need to break over this stuff. And so groundedness and perspective and presence and robustness is the opposite of fragility. The word that kept coming to mind, especially since we're on video looking at each other and I got to see in those examples and the feedback, posture. And I started to think in my mind about a leader that has grounded posture. I am much more apt to follow someone that has that grounded posture. And just as a takeaway, all of us know what that looks like as leaders. You know, we get to model the way. And so let's talk about that a little bit more. How do we lead conversations in our workplace that help ripple affect this? Or maybe now what you could do is break down maybe some tactical leadership actions towards building anti-fragile teams. So again, it's those three dimensions, right? Of me and we and world. And we just have to start with the me, right? And just think of literally physically in our bodies, which we don't think about often enough, especially in a remote world where our bodies often aren't in the room. And yet they are. So start with body and your body language and just your body position for yourself, right? And that's something about mindfulness. No one meditates all crinkled and hunched over, right? We meditate back strong, eyes clear, head up, straight and aligned so that the energy can flow and mindfulness happens. So you got to start with yourself, start with your body. That also means sleep, by the way. It also means eating decently, moving your body however you need to feel good. And then of course, the second is mental and getting really clear on who you are and where your breaking points are. We all have pet peeves. We all have triggers. And whether that's from childhood or whether that's because you worked with a boss who hated Arial font and that's a trigger for you now, like whatever, right? But we're all super weird. Hallelujah. What a benefit. We can all be weird in different ways. But if we pretend that we're not weird, that I'm normal or right and anything else, which is everything else is different, that's really problematic, right? That does not create empathy and collaboration or creativity, which is the upside of that. 
And so I think just getting good in your body and then in your mind as self-aware as you can be, I think we'll have blind spots until the days that we die. But in the meantime, it's that constant search that we have the responsibility to do to understand how we work, what triggers us, what helps us work well, and be really transparent about that, right? Hey, this shock, this disorder, right? Whatever it is that is coming in, again, small or large, freaked me out because I have this real paranoia about our market share because I've been through a decline in that. I've had to lay people off. And so that's a lot for me anytime I hear that we're declining at all. So just know that that gets me into fight or flight mode. That level of transparency with folks, I think, is the authenticity that people talk about a lot of times. And it doesn't mean inappropriate. If that person doesn't need to know or can't know about market share data, then you don't share that example, right? But whatever it is that is appropriate, if you can own and communicate, this is who I am, this is how this affects me, and this is what's happening as a result, it's really hard to break that. It's like a judo stance that you've seen, right? That grounded myth. They can duck, they can dodge, Neo can like avoid the bullet because they're so grounded in what's real for them that that everything else is a game, you know, like Talib wrote. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so good. And I'm just, as you're talking, thinking about, you know, my responsibility in this and what am I doing that is helping build my strength? So just thinking about examples for myself, just as an individual, my morning routine, if I don't have that, I'm probably going to flip out multiple times throughout the day. Like it centers me. I can clearly tell if I don't have it. Meditation, that could be five minutes, once or twice a day. Breathwork. Breathwork is new for me. I went on a retreat last November and the power of breathing. And, you know, if you've had a tough conversation, that is like a go to that I've learned that just completely recenters me. It's almost like the tough conversation wasn't even there. Coaching sessions for years, coaching, counseling, right? Conversations like this with peers, right? To break those things down. So that's from a micro perspective. I'm just thinking about some of the things that I do and then reflecting on what it looks like in leading my team. A couple of things came to mind. One is embracing failure is one of our codes in our culture. And so each time that that happens, we share the story with our team. It's not like, oh, yep, I embrace failure, but no one ever knows what that means. It is, I'm sharing, here's what happened. And just a story recently with one of our team members leaning in too much to AI for some of this content that we're doing. And we were so off track because it wasn't aligned with the message. And we're like, wait, we were trying to lean into a tool and embrace the change. And so to understand as a team through this other person's learning how all of us learn rather than the failure breaking us, it's like, great, check plus, we're moving forward. Brene Brown, I think, brought this really to life is around our leadership vulnerability stories. And I can be fearful and confident. And humans are fearful. We all have fears. But to say we're in this together and we know where we're going and we're going to do our very best and like to lead that. So I had never thought about it for myself and broke down some of those things. Did that elicit anything for you or am I on the mark? Absolutely. No, really elegant. And to take it into that we dimension, right, which you did, I think fear is the nugget. Like if I had to talk about one piece that leaders can do to erode this fragility pandemic that we're in, it would be addressing the fear. So I think everything we're saying, like what I was describing of just being transparent, call it vulnerability, and your point about really shining a light on failure. Everyone is scared. As you said, we're all scared. It's natural. It's adaptive for us to be scared because we won't get eaten by the mountain lion, right? Like we have to have some of that. But when leaders can address fear, 
not leave it under the bed, dark and scary, that layoffs might be coming to one team in that region and say, what I know is layoffs are coming possibly to this region or that region. We should know in six weeks time more. Hallelujah. I'm scared, but I'm not scared of some amorphous monster that may or may not be. I can now do a calculus of, okay, so I am in this region. Six weeks out is after the deadline for me to apply to grad school. So maybe I actually do want to slip that in as a plan B or whatever the details are of someone's circumstance. But having information is shining the light on the monster under the bed to reveal that indeed it's just laundry, right? Or maybe it is the cat I'm allergic to, in which case I should take action to get the cat out of the bedroom. But deflating that fear is a really powerful thing because we've been living in major fear. This is partially the root cause of why people are so fragile because it has been terrifying and our media and our public leaders are really not being helpful and not following these instructions. So maybe we'll send around some copies of the Forbes article when it comes out to these people in charge, right? But they have just been fomenting fear. Am I going to get COVID from my neighbor? Can I go out? Can I get the vaccine? The vaccine is going to kill me. Am I going to be rioted? And so no wonder we have some of this. Nell, thank you for shining a light on a topic that I think a lot of us aren't thinking about regularly. And it's important to think about. And your challenge that we all have a responsibility to think and act on this. Before we take a quick break and move over to our lightning round to learn a little bit more about you, do you want to wrap up with any challenge or maybe a certain resource? I know we have the Forbes article that's going to be coinciding with this to be able to give a little bit more. But is there anything that you want to wrap up with as really like an action to challenge listeners in bettering themselves? My book is called Going First. But like, it's not about actually being some dramatic first. It's just about taking a step further than you did yesterday in some way in your world. And so I think here what that is, is looking at the Talib proposition that being anti-fragile is a differentiator, stands to gain. And I like to have fun in my life and work. And if you're breakable and you're too fragile, you can't have fun because you might break a leg or fall down or get traumatized. Flip this on its head, make it light a little, and think about how being anti-fragile is like strapping on your shin pads to go play soccer with people after work or your helmet on the motorcycle or whatever that is in a fun, lighter way to then pay forward to other people so that we can get into the ring, right? And have some fun and change things for the better. Oh, that's so good. And we'll link out to book resources as well. That's a great point. One last closing comment. I like to get a little woo-woo every once in a while. And I was just thinking as you were sharing the energy effect of fragility and the ripple effect of that energy of and tighten and just not flow. Whereas the anti-fragility energy level and just how that does flow and more goodness comes from that. So if anybody's following along there, just another note, the responsibility is ours. So with that, now, thank you so much. This is well past due, but all in perfect timing. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsor message today. And then we'll come back to our lightning round where we'll get to learn a few fun facts about now. All right, we'll be right back. Shout out to the Talent Talks podcast by Titus. Show host Jonathan Reynolds, CEO of Titus Talent, brings a unique blend of fun, humor, and passion. Jonathan's vibrant energy shines through the microphone as he engages with every guest live, creating a captivating synergy. Jonathan collaborates with each guest to delve into topics that empower leaders to make optimal hiring and engagement decisions 
from a people first lens. You gotta give this podcast a try. Talent Talks. We're back on Gut Plus Science with Nell, Derek, Deba Voice. And Nell, I know you've heard this round before a few times, and we always switch it up because we want people to get to know you. But we do start with the first question always, which is your favorite book of all time or favorite recent read that our leader audience would love to know about. I think kind of a repeat and the fact that I'm rereading it now is a good indicator that it ranks, which is the original. So 1991, not quite as old as I am, but a decade short. The original book on flow by Chicks Immensely High, but it's just a beautiful book. And as I'm rereading it for the first time in probably 25 years since undergrad, it is incredible how timely it still is and just how evergreen. But some of his commentary about flow and this idea of optimal experience is so timely. And let me tell you that if you have a good flow practice, you are not fragile. So really encourage people to, to pick that one back up if you've read it already or an oldie but goodie for the first time. Thank you for that. I've not heard that book on this show, so it's a new one for our list rather than a duplicate. Thank you. All right. So half the time that I email you, call you, text you, you're on the other side of the world. So we're going to lean into travel. Tell us what travel means to you. Travel is life. First, I didn't travel a lot as a kid. I didn't travel at all abroad until I was 16 and then not again until I was 20. But the first 10 years of my career after college, I lived abroad. And so I traveled a ton and I lived in six or seven different countries full time for extended periods of time. And then I got domestic. I went back to New York City and was really local for a while building community there. There was a pandemic, you might have heard. But in the last few years, I've come back into just sort of a nomadic lifestyle. I very much have a home and two dogs and we're very established here. But travel is work for me. I lead, as you know, and hopefully will experience firsthand with David, retreats. So deep, immersive experiences for leaders or teens in really magical places. So I am so happy to be able to pay forward the fact that I've traveled a lot to a lot of places and have a really good sniffer for those truly special transformational spots because of the land, because of the place, because of the ecosystem and the nature, and because of the physical plant and the people who are there. Some of the travel is research for those retreats. Some of the travel is those retreats themselves. Some of the travel is purely fun with my husband skiing or friends who live all over the place. But I think the important thing for me is that it does kind of go back to this anti-fragility of being so grounded in self and the work that needs to be done that the geography doesn't matter so much to me. And I can get to pack and I have to wait in planes just like everyone else does. So I can get thrown off by some of that too. But my aspiration is really to stay centered, grounded and be able to be on the road, not endlessly because I love home, but quite a lot. And as much certainly as the work calls me. Yeah. I would see like the word integration, like travel is just integrated into your life heavily. And piece that's really fun and tactical about travel is away messages. And so whether you travel a lot or a little, I really encourage people to lean into the power of the away message as a relationship builder, as a business driver, you know, so sometimes because I'm on the road a lot, sometimes I put them, sometimes I don't. But if I ever do, I put a quote, I put a picture of where I'm going with me and my husband the last time I was there. I put a link to my latest article really let that momentum build even while you're not there. And inevitably people respond and like, oh, you're away, you didn't have to reply, you know, because it feels so personal and warm that they think I was sitting on the ski lift, like typing this out to them. I love that. That's such a great tip. I love that. 
Okay. Next up is I'm curious, being a leader, mom figure, wife in a blended family, what's been the lesson learned for you this year? So I met my husband 11 years ago, just to set the stage. He is 19 years, my elder. And so I absorbed or was given, granted, took on these three fabulous adult-ish kids at the time. They were in high school and freshman year of college and now are 30 plus or minus three of them. There's so much to it. And it's been such a rich, joyful, stretching experience in all the ways in so many dimensions. But the lesson that's really timely is the balance of watching, learning, that kind of hundred days listening tour that leaders talk about as they come into a new role. And then the transition to taking stands and being yourself and being more directive or robustly present or engaged in a way, right? And so 11 years later, it's just fascinating to look back at the stages of that. And there's no kind of like black, white, pre, post, based on the day we got married or the day that we all felt comfortable or whatever. But because we're planning a wedding, which is amazing, and we're integrating dogs into the family and, you know, there's just stuff happening as it does in life, it's provided this opportunity to play a more active role in my way, which is new and different to this family of which I am a decade plus part and, you know, deeply connected and loved and integrated and loving. And I'm conscious, I think we're all conscious that it is a bit of a shift built on really solid, fabulous foundation. And nonetheless, a little bit of a stretch for everyone and a, just a rearrangement of those relationships. I know clients who have felt and seen that in different ways in workplace leadership roles. So it's been fun to live that out on the home front. That's a beautiful thing. And personally, very inspiring to me as a newer stepmom of four boys. So thank you for that. We might dig in a little bit more on a follow-up conversation. And Nell, before we sign off, I want to make sure that people know how to connect with you in the best way. So really easy answer is LinkedIn. We're in the middle of some very exciting rebrand of my holding company and all the work that I do and thought leadership, as well as a book launch coming soon. And so LinkedIn is the best place that you can't miss me. There will be a newsletter as well as all the updates and links out. And of course, the second place is Forbes, right? So there'll be an article on this very topic as well as others that come out a little sporadically, but regularly over the course of a year on all these topics related to being a leader who is good for yourself and the people around you and the broader world. Now here's my truth you can act on from my conversation today with Nell Derek Debevoise. Number one, we have a human fragility problem. I love podcasting for the opportunity to learn and for me to understand this problem. I think all of us have the opportunity to see that this is a problem in our world. Number two, we all have a responsibility to build our healthy foundation that fights against fragility for our own confidence, connection with others, and ultimately to make change in the world. Number three, sharpen your communication skills, such as grounded, robust communication and addressing fear with confidence. Those are great examples in today's episode. We'll see you next time. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.